The reading for this morning is taken from Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be reading the verses 27 to 32. Jesus has been, for the most part, in the northern region of Israel. He's been uh, working his way through the province of Galilee. He began his ministry here already in, uh, a, a while ago now in the town of Nazareth, giving his inaugural sermon there, declaring that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. And as we've been progressing through the gospel of Luke, we've recognized the view of the, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as they've been looking at their image of the Messiah and how much it clashed with that of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. But over the course of chapter 5 in particular, he's been showing his people who the Messiah really is and how the work of the Messiah really unfolds. First calling Simon, who was your average day laborer, and then reaching out to a man who was full of leprosy and showing how he cleansed this man through touch. He himself did not become unclean, but he cleansed this man ceremonially and physically. And then he went a step further in forgiving a man's sins, so showing how the work of the Messiah goes even deeper to healing the soul. And then we come with this same continued question in mind, who did Jesus come for? Who did the Messiah come for? And we come to our passage here today in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and following. We know from Mark that he's close to the coastline of the Sea of Galilee right now. We read, After these things he went, he, that is Jesus, went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. This would have been a booth at the side of the road. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Judea was a conquered province of Rome. And for many of them, this still chafed. They hated being under Rome. They hated every bit of it. The Romans encouraged the Greek culture that they had taken over after Alexander the Great had conquered the Middle East before them. They encouraged games, races, and plays at theaters, and many other things. For the Jews, they saw many of their young people slipping away because of this. 
attracted by the things that their conquerors had to offer for them. And many of their young people became very worldly because of it. Their conquerors were eating away at their culture and their religion, and they could see a generation changing in front of their very eyes as the years passed by, and they hated it. But what they hated even beyond that was the Roman tax. The Roman tax was the symbol of them being a conquered nation. The Roman tax was a picture of everything come together, everything that they had to suffer, all of these changes that they had to go through, coming together in the form of one man who traveled through the countryside, who stayed at booths on the side of the road, who collected from the people. Those who collected Roman taxes were a sign that this foreign power could march right onto your property year after year, demand money from you, and there was nothing that you could do about it. This in itself made a lot of people bitter. Everywhere that you saw these tax collectors, you could see the dominion and the rule of Rome. Everywhere you saw these tax collectors, you were reminded that you were not free. But you paid your taxes all the same. Because if you didn't, or even worse, if you harmed a tax collector, you faced the full weight of the wrath of Rome. Legionaries, soldiers who would come and take what you had by force and probably more besides. And if you harmed a tax collector, then you would probably face execution on top of all of that. They hated the daily reminder that they received by seeing these tax officials every day that they saw them at work. Now today we're introduced to one of these tax collectors. Jesus has been going throughout the countryside preaching and teaching, and having spent most of his time in Galilee, he once again finds himself preaching and teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it's at this point, as he's walking down the road, that he sees a tax collector named Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, the one who actually later became the author of the gospel. He pauses. And then it's at this moment that Jesus reveals himself with particular grace towards his people, towards sinners, towards those who need to hear him. It's at this moment in time that Jesus reveals himself as the great physician. We'll see the great physician meets a tax collector. We'll see, first of all, the offense of the sinner, second, the call of the sinner, third, the one who brings back from death and finally raised up to a joyful life. So what was the great offense that caused such disgust from God's people when it came to tax collectors? Why did they hate Levi and his friends so much? Well, what we saw before as them being a picture of being under the boot of Romans, the Romans was definitely part of the problem. It wasn't only that it was a symbol of the fact that they were conquered, though. 
Tax collectors were known to be very corrupt, very wicked people. Why? Well, Rome put the job of tax collecting up for what was called tender. They put it up for tender. What does that mean? Well, in plain English, the person who promised to do the best job in bringing taxes for the cheapest price was the one who got the job. But the problem was that beyond that, Rome didn't really check up on their tax collectors. So you could promise to do it for a really low price, and Rome would pay you a really low price. But what would often happen is that tax collectors wouldn't stop with taking what they had agreed to be paid by Rome. They would double dip. They would charge more in taxes than the government of Rome actually asked of the people. For example, they would say to a caravan trader who was coming down the road, they would stop him and say to the person who owed $50 in taxes, oh, you owe 75 and they would keep the extra $25 for themselves. This would mean that day after day, in collecting these taxes, they would often become very rich. And it also meant that they would become very despised. Everybody hated them. Even their Roman overlords were disgusted by them. The ancient Roman historian Livy writes, wherever there is a tax collector, public law is disregarded. But the reason that everybody in Judea and Galilee hated their tax collectors in particular was because these were Jews. The name Levi, our tax collector in our passage today, that's a Jewish name. This was a person who not only called himself part of the people of God, but one who had been given the name of the tribe that was described as being a gift from God. The tribe of Levi was described as having been given to the people to keep them from repeating the sin of idolatry in worshiping God. Numbers 18, verses 2 to 6. His name had weight. His name had meaning. And yet, here he is making a mockery of his name. Here he is living as a tax collector, sitting at the side of the road, taxing caravans, traders, and anyone trying to do business near the Sea of Galilee in this place. As a general rule, these tax collectors were Jews who were robbing their fellow Jews for the sake of Rome and filling their own pockets. They were considered traitors. They were despised. Their sin was so disgusting, taking advantage of your fellow Jew that they put these tax collectors into a special group of especially sinful people. Did you notice that when you read the passage? They talked about sinners and tax collectors. They have their very own category. They were the worst of the worst in the eyes of the Jews, and with good reason. They were taking advantage of their fellow believers. And considering that no one rose to Levi's defense, there's no reason to believe that Levi himself was any different. And this brings us to our second point. Levi was a sinner, 
And he was one publicly recognized by the world as a sinner, publicly shunned and rejected by the religious leaders as a sinner and a traitor. And yet, what does Jesus say to this man? This man who was despised by the world, this man who was despised by his own overlords, his own bosses, sitting and living in his sin. What does Jesus say to him? Follow me. We have this picture in our minds sometimes that it's only those who are all cleaned up, only those who have their lives sorted out that are followers of Jesus. Following the footsteps of Jesus? That religious guy over there does it, but I need to clean up my act a little bit before I can start doing it. But no, Jesus says to this sinner, to this tax collector, right there in his sin, follow me. This is a call that goes out to every sinner, no matter where they're at. There is no time in which we can stand back and wait until we have everything figured out. We're called to follow him. Beloved, do you have a sin in your life that's keeping you in place right now? How are you reacting to the word of God? Maybe you're a visitor today and maybe you're even a visitor who is considering following the Lord but you see these seemingly religious people around you and you think maybe I should wait to clean up my act a little bit. Maybe I need to know more. Maybe I need to do more before I can become a Christian. But what do we see here? Jesus says to this man, follow me. And we read that Levi gets up, leaves behind everything that he has, and follows Jesus without looking back. There's two beautiful things that we can see coming to the front here in Jesus' words and Levi's response. First, it doesn't matter how far we've fallen or how the world looks at us. Jesus Christ knows all of that. The Lord knows our hearts. He knows that we're even worse than others make us out to be. But that doesn't slow him down. He still comes to us. Romans 5 verse 8, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, in verse 32 of our passage, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Jesus reaches out to us where we are. Christ calls us from where we are. He doesn't wait until we have all of our ducks in a row. He calls you and me to him now. The second beautiful thing that we see here is that Levi comes. He takes Jesus at his word. This is to be the response of every Christian to the call of Jesus Christ. He calls us. Do we trust him to give what we need to follow him? He calls us now. Do we trust him to give us what we need to grow in spiritual maturity? 
Sure, we may not be where we want to be in our spiritual walk right now, but Christ is calling us now. Do we trust him enough to get up and to follow him? This brings us to our third point, the one who brings back from death. For Levi, this is a reason for joy. He celebrates his new Lord. Life is going to be very different for him. And probably a lot more financially straining than his former life. He's left everything behind. We read that he left all. He closed his business down. Leaving the temptations that come with his line of work behind as well. Jesus Christ has given him a new life. Jesus Christ has reached out to him. And he's so incredibly happy and thankful because of this. So to celebrate, all what do you do when you celebrate? You have a party. You invite your friends, those who are closest to you. Levi does the exact same thing. Calls together all of his friends and his acquaintances. That they are also sinners and tax collectors doesn't bother him a whole lot. Because if Jesus could extend this grace to him, how could he not extend that to those who are in need of Jesus Christ as well? He calls them together to meet his Lord. But what brought him to this place? What brought him to the point at which he's not only able to leave his life of sin and temptation behind, but to leave it behind joyfully? Well, it's at this point that we need to reflect for a moment on the work of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we're going to take a step back and look at what Christ does for every believer. Now, unfortunately, one way that people have talked about Jesus as the great physician is to limit his work. The heretic Pelagius was one of these. Though he was born in the year 360 AD, his ideas still carry on in some circles today. He believed that people were not born in sin despite what Psalm 51 verse 5 says. That they were basically good, that everyone is born as a clean slate. Now, not many people, of course, still hold to the teachings of Pelagius today. But enough hold on to part of it that we still have what is called semi-Pelagianism floating around. Here, people argue that man is just sick in his sin. Man needs help, it's true. But he's still able to do much in responding to the call of Christ on his own. He is still able to repent on his own and to believe on his own. But what does the Bible say in response to this? In the famous passage of Ephesians 2 verse 1, we read, You he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. God teaches very clearly that man is dead in his sin. Without God, we aren't able to please him. Without God, Levi wouldn't be able to please him. We wouldn't even want to live for him. 
Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 continues in this, saying, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's God who gives this change of heart to his people. Our hearts have spiritually flatlined. There is no way that we can get them going again of ourselves. Just like the paramedic needs to get involved because the person can't revive themselves, in the same way we need the total involvement of God. But what about this passage then? What about Jesus saying those who are well, who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick? Isn't he using that as an example to show how God works in the lives of people? Well, think about the person who's the author of this gospel. It's Luke, the doctor. This example of Jesus is one that caught his eye, stuck in his mind because he's a doctor and medical examples stick with him. But Luke, Luke isn't using this to make a statement about how people are before God calls them to himself. That they're simply sick before God calls them to himself. He's not using it to say a theological truth through this example, but instead he's using it to make a parallel. A parallel is a saying which goes just like this is true, in the same way that is true. Like father, like son is one example of a parallel. Jesus is saying that just like sick people need to go to doctors, sinners need to be called to repent from sin. Just as certainly as the first thing he says is true, so certainly is the second one true. But this basic truth remains unchanged. Of ourselves, we're not just sick, we're spiritually dead in sin. And we need to be brought back to life. Of ourselves, we are lost. And we need to be found, to brought back to God by the work of the Spirit himself in our hearts. And this is exactly what God does for his people. This is exactly what God does for Levi in our passage today. Which brings us to our fourth point. For Levi was a reason for joy that God worked in his heart this way. Think about that for a moment. A man who got up and who left everything behind and walked away to follow Jesus. How easy would it be for you to do that? If leaving your sin required you to leave your whole livelihood behind, how easy would it be for you to do that? To face the uncertainty of the future. You don't know where there will be any income. You don't know whether there will be any stability. But by the grace of God, Levi does this joyfully. You see, this is the work of God in the hearts of sinners. When he transforms us and he raises us up to a new life, he changes our wants. He changes our desires. People who are on the outside looking in can sometimes think, Christians, 
well, they're the people who don't really know how to do what's fun. They're not allowed to do what's fun. It's like you invite a Christian somewhere, and in an example that I heard not too long ago, you invite a Christian to go somewhere, and the Christian responds, well, how fun is it going to be? No, that doesn't sound like it's Christian. And then walks on. But that's not the picture that God gives us. God changes our pleasures. God changes our joys. And those things that we relied on before, those things that we looked to before, they are transformed. We see them for what they truly are. When we're brought from death into life, we see them for what they are. And we find our joy elsewhere. Levi is so happy that he's been chosen by Jesus to leave his life of sin behind that he doesn't hold on to that stability anymore. The pleasure that he finds with more wealth coming in, the pleasure that he would find with being able to decorate his house with rich tapestries to be able to host large parties. He invites all of his friends out to one last feast to get them to know Jesus Christ as well. To know the freedom that Jesus Christ has brought him to with this call. To know that he has found a higher joy somewhere else. A higher pleasure. That his wants have been transformed. He doesn't want the things anymore that they wanted. He wants them to see how all he wants to do now is to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. For natural man, it's impossible to joyfully answer the call of our Savior like this. Levi himself wouldn't have been able to do this if it was just he himself at work. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. That was true then, and it's true for us today. We are raised up to a new life in Jesus Christ. We're raised up to follow in his footsteps. This might mean a sacrifice, yes, but it's a joyful sacrifice because he has transformed our wants and our desires. God alone has worked that joy in Levi's heart. God alone is the one who works that joy in your heart and in mine. Beloved, Jesus Christ calls you today. He calls you, he calls you to follow him. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter if you just sinned last night or even this morning again. That you've been trapped in a cycle of sin. Jesus calls you to get up, to repent from your sin, and to follow him once more. And in this, you can truly call Jesus the great physician, because he isn't just our Lord who heals his people, but he is our Lord who brings back from the dead. 
greater than any other physician as God, our Lord and Savior, is able to bring us back from death. He doesn't just call us, he gives us the faith we so desperately need. Looking in faith, leaning on your brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting all around you here today. He guides you by his spirit so that we can live a new life. Come to the great physician in repentance and in faith. Put your trust in him today. Come to him recognizing your sin. He's brought you from death to life. Pray that he would transform your wants and your joys. By his word and spirit, by the body of believers that he placed you in, who walk alongside you and who watch over you, he will answer and he equips you to walk in his footsteps to be his image bearers. And the strength that he gives you, listen to that call. Leave it all. Rise up and follow him. Amen.